From pop culture to politics, this is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, in fact, in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation with a great and now nail-biting, close, close, close election looming. Yeah, that's right. Uh, forget about the GOP wave, at least for now, according to a series of polls and analyses, including by partisan Republicans. This is going to be a very, very close election where your particular congressional district matters, your vote matters. So everybody participate, get involved, and vote. We will talk about that and why things have changed. We will also talk about the, the new outcropping of uh, attacks, just random attacks everywhere across the country. And uh, lots of people killed, not just in Chicago, but all around the United States. But before we get to that, one of the reasons that things are changing politically is because of uh, the reaction to President Trump and the dispute over the search of Mar-a-Lago and the very increasing likelihood that he will be indicted at some point and pursued by the Justice Department, and that'll probably happen before the election. What does that mean? Nobody better to speak to than one of America's premier defense attorneys, a prominent civil libertarian, and of course a longtime professor at Harvard Law School and a best-selling author, the author of the new bestseller, the Price of Principle, great friend of this show, Alan Dershowitz. Alan, uh, you've looked at some of the evidence gathered so far, yeah. <clears throat> and you said uh, uh, yesterday, I believe, that you think there is enough evidence there that uh, indictment is a real possibility, but it might not be a good idea. Do I have that right? Well, that's <clears throat> pretty much right. What I said was that if you look at the unredacted portions of the affidavit, there's enough there for an indictment. After all, as a former judge said, prosecutors can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. It's the easiest thing in the world to get an indictment. And, you know, there's enough there. He has material that is classified. Uh, in his possession, in violation of various statutes, much like Hillary Clinton did. Um, Hillary Clinton could easily have been indicted. He could easily be indicted. I do not believe, this is just my belief, I do not believe that Merrick Garland will allow the indictment of the future Republican nominee for president against the incumbent and current incumbent based on what I've seen in the uh, unredacted, uh, on, on, the, uh, on the, the portions of the affidavit that have been made public. I don't believe he'll do that. That's what is done in banana republics. You know, there was a, a South American dictator who once said, for my friends, everything, for my enemies, the law. All you have to do is <clears throat> invoke the law and you'll find something. So to my mind, you need to satisfy two standards in order to go after a former president or a current possible potential nominee. The two standards are the Nixon standard and the Hillary Clinton standard. The Nixon standard is the crime has to be so serious that indictment has bipartisan support or impeachment. Uh, in Nixon's case, the leaders of the Republican Party came to him 
and said, you're guilty, and unless you resign, we're on their side. And that met that standard, that set up that standard. The Hillary Clinton standard is if you're going to indict a candidate, she was a candidate at the time for president, it can't be just a technical violation. It has to be something very serious. And you have to be able to distinguish the indictment of a Republican candidate from the not indictment of a Democratic candidate. I do not think either of those standards have been met from what I've seen in the portions of the affidavit that have been released. What about the idea that uh, uh, that basically uh, Attorney General Garland could move forward in the hope that it would prevent the candidacy of Donald Trump, which based upon some of the polling, go ahead. No, it would probably enhance it. Um, First of all, let's be clear about the constitutionality. A president could run for president if he was seated in the electric chair uh, and had (laughs) 10 minutes to live. Uh, Certainly he could run if he's in prison. There are four criteria for disqualifying a president. Under 35, not born in the United States, fought in the Civil War against the Union, or was convicted by the Senate with the addendum that he can't ever run again. Those are the only four criteria. Anyone else can run for president. You can be convicted of treason. You can be convicted of anything else. Look, we've had people run for mayor of Boston from prison and win, I think, uh, Mayor Curley. Uh, so yes, absolutely. they will not succeed as a matter of constitutional law in disqualifying him. But, it, you know, it may help us chances. It may hurt. We don't know. Look, one of the reasons the Democrats are doing so much better than they were a few months ago is, is the overruling of Roe versus Wade. It backfired, as I said it would in 1973, as I said it would in a book in 2000. And it has backfired. Once you turn abortion into a political issue, that benefits the party which is more supportive of a woman's right to choose at least under certain circumstances and that's what seems to be happening in kansas it happened in new york and it's going to happen i think in other parts of the country as well there's a brand new cbs poll today which uh, shows that for a lot of this shift over toward the democratic side and it's been dramatic among independents particularly among independents the uh, Trump dispute does not work for him. It, it works profoundly yeah. against Republicans. And uh, the Republicans who support President Trump on the Mar-a-Lago search. One of the questions I would ask you is, you know President Trump, you, you were very instrumental in helping him during both impeachments. Uh, why do you think he even got into this problem about classified documents in Mar-a-Lago? I mean, is there some higher point that he's trying to make, some higher change that he's trying to demand in terms of what a president is permitted to do with classified documents? I don't think so. First, I did not help him on his second impeachment because I strongly, strongly opposed any effort to undo the election. I didn't want to be associated in any way with the defense that questioned the election of Uh, Joe Biden as president. I did help defend him in his first impeachment, which wasn't based on constitutional grounds. I don't know him well. I've only met him a half a dozen times, but he's sloppy. He's careless. Uh, I don't think there's any higher principle at stake here, any more than there was any higher principle at stake 
when Hillary Clinton kept her classified material not only on a home uh, server, but on Anthony Weiner's computer. Could anything be more <laughs> vulnerable than Anthony Weiner's computer? That's how they found the material. Uh, my friend, a lawyer, Arthur Idella, was Anthony Weiner's lawyer. And that's how the material got to the uh, FBI and the Justice Department. And so, you know, it, I don't know whether it's going to work to his advantage or against him because a lot more will have to come out. But I have to tell you, based on the affidavit that I've seen, maybe there's more. They don't have it. They don't have enough. And you're not going to get a future presidential candidate indicted based on mishandling of classified information or refusal to turn over stuff to the archives. But you make a good question, ask a good question. I don't think it was deliberate. I don't think it was part of a plot to sell it to North Korea or China, as some idiots are alleging. I just think he probably thought he owned them. And he okay, so the, the, question re- the question remains, and we'll, we'll be back in just a moment. How could... President Trump help himself by explaining this thing or by some kind of attitude other than just uh, uh, claiming victimhood because he's being pursued in a political vendetta. We will be right back with Professor Alan Dershowitz, the author of The Price of Principle, his new bestseller. We'll be right back. show you'll remember that on Friday they uh, released the uh, redacted affidavit that gave you the basis for the entire search warrant that was used to search and seize materials from uh, Mar-a-Lago and uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz has said that uh, they probably have enough evidence right there in even the redacted search warrant to uh, indict President Trump and to prosecute him, but he thinks that would be a terrible idea, uh, and partially because I I'm take it from your comments about the nature of the evidence so far and the nature of this case as far as you understand it, that you think a conviction would be unlikely. Oh, no. I think a conviction would be a 100% certainty in the District of Columbia. If you can if you can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich in the District of Columbia, you can get it to indict a tuna fish sandwich. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's a no-brain proposition. I, you get a conviction. Nobody, as far as I know, has ever been acquitted in the District of Columbia when they've had any connections to Donald Trump. I think 91% of the <laughs> voters voted, uh, voted Democrat. So, I mean, a conviction would be easy if you can get a conviction even of innocent people. And so that's not the criteria. The criteria is you know, judicial uh, or, or prosecutorial discretion, uh, just like you could have gotten a conviction of Hillary Clinton in Montana. That would be easy. But that's not the way prosecutors ought to uh, decide whether to bring prosecutions, whether they're going to win the case or not, particularly political cases where the jury pool may determine everything. I think if it were, 
resulting in a conviction, it would be reversed on appeal. But, you know, that will be years from now, and uh, the impact on elections would be great. The Justice Department is also not supposed to indict uh, at a time when their actions could have an impact on elections. And so I don't think we're going to see an indictment between now and the October elections and the November elections. Right. But, but uh, what, again, sure. uh, sure. the New York Times... The New York Times editorial is talking, I think, about an indictment afterward. And let me just get something clear, because I'm I'm not sure from first-year civil procedure how this goes. Wouldn't uh, uh, they have the option of uh, actually conducting a prosecution in Florida? Because uh, isn't isn't that uh, where the original magistrate judge, Judge Reinhardt, uh, issued the search warrant? and where much of this case originated. Yeah, and the prosecution could do that, but they won't. Now the question is, could the defendant move for a change of venue from the District of Columbia to um, South Florida? Uh, He could, but it probably would not be granted. Motions for change of venue are rarely granted. So, you know, I think it's going to be up to the prosecutor. And prosecutors have too much power, particularly under our system, where the attorney general has a schizophrenic job, a totally inconsistent job. One of his jobs, one of his Janus faces, is he's the advisor to the president. He's in the cabinet. He's supposed to be helping the president get reelected. He's supposed to be political. On the other hand, he is the chief law enforcement officer. He's supposed to be non-political. In many countries in the world, those roles are divided. In England, there's a minister of justice. He's political. And then there's a director of public prosecution, civil servant, not political. They make all the decisions. One of the reasons why we do have special counsel sometimes is because we don't trust politically appointed people to make decisions that will help their party and hurt the opposing party. That's why also a special master is a good idea for looking through these materials, even though the Justice Department has a taint team. I can tell you, I don't know of any criminal defense lawyers who trust the taint team not to give a wink and a nod to the prosecutors in the case if they find something really juicy that may, in fact, be published. So I think a special master is a much better idea. Has the Justice Department responded yet to the idea of the special master, which was raised by the Florida judge? Yes, they oppose it. And they well, say, hey, <laughs> trust us. We're the government. We're good guys. We can do it. We've already undertaken doing it. Uh, no, I think there should be a special master. There was a special master appointed not so long ago in the New York case. Uh, I think the Cohen case, uh, a special uh, master was appointed, a former judge, uh, nonpartisan. And I think that's the right way to go. The uh, New York Times has a huge editorial that uh, ran on Sunday. Donald Trump is not yeah, and above they would the have law. Had exactly, they would have exactly the opposite editorial if it was Hillary Clinton. I don't believe a word in the New York Times. I'll give you a perfect example. The New York <laughs> well, this Times is an editorial, has, hated, so. has hated, don't believe their editorials because they appear on the front page. It's called News Analysis. It's right. one of the worst papers in the country and not separating news from editorial. So the New York Times has a long history of hating, hating the Espionage Act of 1917, as every civil libertarian has. They use that statute to go after Debs. They use that statute to go after Dr. Spock. They use that statute to go after the Pentagon Papers. They use that statute to go after, you know, uh, uh, WikiLeaks. 
and the Times has hated it, and civil libertarians have hated it, and the ACLU has hated it. I think the ACLU once called it the worst statute for civil liberties passed since the Alien and Sedition Act. Now they all love it. They want to expand it. They want to see how far it can stretch because they're going after Trump. It's the going after Trump exception to everything. The Constitution be damned. Larry Tribe says we should indict Trump for attempting to murder Pence. The dumbest statement ever made by a law professor. And people love it. Your colleague. My former colleague. Because it's getting Trump. If you can get Trump, everything is kosher. And if you can't, so what, what, what you're reminding us that Donald Trump actually has the distinction of being prosecuted on the same basis as Eugene Victor Debs, a five, what is it, five times socialist candidate for president? <laughs> and Emma Goldman and Berkman yeah. and all the radical anarchists and Dr. Spock, <laughs> Benjamin Spock. And WikiLeaks, right. and you know that statute is a chamber of horrors, and yet the left loves it. Editorial after editorial in the Times, op-ed after op-ed. Oh, you can get them under the Espionage Act of 1917. That and it was the work of Woodrow Wilson, wasn't it? The Espionage Act. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it was well. used, and, and you know Holmes hated it, Brandeis hated it, uh, all the good guys hated it, and the bad guys loved it. And now the people who think they're good guys love it because they're using it to go after a bad guy. That's the kind what, of hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, again, there's they give in the New York Times, and I, I know your feelings about the New York Times, but they provide a list of already initiated ongoing prosecutions against Trump. And there are a bunch of them that you kind of forget about, like the tax valuation in Westchester County and the uh, basic uh, case against the Trump organization where Alan Wasselberg has already pleaded guilty to 15 felonies. There's more to talk about and appreciate somebody with your legal expertise and perspective. Uh, his book, Alan's most recent book, The Price of Principle, yet another bestseller at his 50th book, or maybe even the 51st. Godspeed to you, Alan, and we will be right back. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, this was a difficult weekend in the United States of America. When you look at the number of shootings, the number of horribly violent incidents, and by the way, not just in Chicago. Chicago, of course, is a case by itself. There are 35 Americans who were shot. Nine of them died. A uh, five-year-old boy was among the critically hurt in a, a shooting in Rogers Park, uh, which is a neighborhood I know reasonably well. I mean, this is, uh, this is outrageous. And uh, just to give you a little bit of an update, there, Bend, Oregon. And Bend, Oregon is a beautiful place. I mean, it really is. It's just lovely. Um, our daughter has very dear friends who uh, moved recently to Bend, Oregon because it's so safe and uh, so scenic and it's a place people go for vacation. 
and uh, three dead, including a gunman. This is a coverage report by CBS and what happened in Oregon. Clip 19. At this time, a gunman killed at least two people at a Safeway grocery store. Now, we know that he used an AR-15-style weapon, and the attack began in the store's parking lot. This happened in Bend, Oregon, in the central part of the state. Police say they received a call about an active shooter around 7 p.m. local time last night. When they got to the scene, they said the shooter was dead. This morning, we're hearing from a grocery store employee who hid in a walk-in fridge during the shooting and a neighbor who described hearing multiple rounds of shots fired. There were 10 to 20 shots and then another 10 to 20 shots. Heather Thompson was sitting on her parents' porch when she heard dozens of gunshots coming from the Forum Shopping Center in Bend, Oregon, Sunday night. People were running out of Safeway, spurts of shot, like maybe two, four, and then it stopped. Police say the shooter walked over from a nearby neighborhood and started firing in the parking lot, appearing to hit the door of this big lot. The shooter moved through the parking lot from the Costco on the west end, shooting rounds from an AR-15 style rifle. The gunman then went to a Safeway in the shopping center. Police say he shot one person at the entrance and continued firing inside, shooting a second person. Both victims died. Shoppers and employees ran and hid. Okay, this is, what what is going on here? Why are supermarkets all of a sudden a target? Uh, I mean, it's, it's bad enough that we have this series of shootings, horrible in fact, at schools on every level, elementary schools and high schools and, but supermarkets? Uh, I mean, really, the um, last September, Less than a year ago, uh, a gunman shot 15 people at a Kroger in Collierville, Tennessee. Some people hid in freezers to survive. In March, another 10 people were gunned down at a King Supers grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, another beautiful town, by the way. A veteran police officer with seven children was among those killed. In May, uh, the authorities... Uh, designated, uh, diagnosed a racially motivated attack. He, uh, the suspect in in uh, in Buffalo, New York, which is what we're talking about, had uh, actually said he was killing people in order to secure the future of the white race. Uh, a hero security guard and a beloved teacher were among those gunned down. Uh, ten people were killed in that supermarket shooting. The uh, and that's not all. Just just to give you a little bit of a flavor, a few newspaper accounts of what happened this weekend in Houston. A man evicted from an apartment building shot five other tenants, killing three of them Sunday morning after setting fire to the house to lure them out. Police said officers fatally shot the gunman. The incident happened around 1 a.m. Sunday morning in a mixed industrial residential neighborhood in southwest Houston. Police and fire crews responded to the apartment house blaze after reports of the fire. Uh, two were dead at the scene and one died at a hospital. Fire teams rescued two other wounded men who were hospitalized with uh, non-life-threatening wounds. He, he also, the killer who died, uh, also shot at the firemen as they were trying to put out the blaze. In Detroit, three dead. Four people were shot, three fatal 
fatally by a person who appeared to be firing at people at random over a roughly two-and-a-half-hour period. Sunday morning in Detroit, police arrested a suspect Sunday afternoon after an extensive manhunt with help from the FBI Department of Homeland Security and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Police traced all four shootings to one firearm and believe there is one shooter. He said uh, investigators don't believe there was any connection between the victims. He said police discovered a woman in her 40s who had been shot multiple times around 4.45 a.m. Sunday morning. While officers were investigating that fatal shooting, a witness reported a 28-year-old man had been shot multiple times nearby. Fort Worth, two boys killed. Two boys were fatally shot and a toddler was critically wounded Sunday afternoon by assailants outside of a house in northwest Fort Worth. A 17-year-old boy, a 5-year-old boy, and an 18-month-old boy were taken to a hospital in critical condition. The 17-year-old and 5-year-old both later died. Uh, the No one knows the boy's relationship. They assume that this killing involved gang violence. In Kansas City, restaurant gunfire. Three people were injured in a shooting Sunday morning outside a Kansas City restaurant, according to police. Officers responded around 2.30 a.m. to calls regarding a noise disturbance near Peppermill Lounge South. Uh, when they arrived, police heard gunfire and saw a large crowd. Uh, shots rang out. Uh, Coney Island shooting in New York. A wild shooting on the Coney Island boardwalk left one man dead and four people wounded, police said Sunday. Shots rang out just before midnight when at least one gunman opened fire on a crowd that had gathered to enjoy the seaside night on the Regalman Boardwalk near 29th Street, West 29th. A 42-year-old man shot in the back was taken by medics to the hospital. 49-year-old woman shot in the right leg, etc., etc. And then L.A., not to be left behind. An L.A. bar fight, a gunman opened fire on patrons in a Los Angeles bar early Sunday morning, uh, wounding six people, police said. A fight broke out among patrons of the Holiday Bar in the Boyle Heights neighborhood. That's uh, just east of downtown. A man then pulled a handgun and began firing into the crowd. Okay, I could go on, um, but I think you get the idea. It's It's... <laughs> a national problem. And one of the things that people are worried about, Second Amendment uh, defenders, is they're just trying to qualify a, uh, a law for the ballot for people to vote on in the state of Oregon. And then with this shooting where apparently the shooter in Oregon, at least according to reports, he was um, armed with both a an AR-15 style weapon and a shotgun and uh, again he died apparently and uh, two other people were killed and uh, what what they talk about is this uh, new I think it's initiative 17 that uh, could actually uh, pass in Oregon or at least qualify for the ballot and some of that would uh, uh, would involve some fairly tough restrictions on acquiring firearms. That people have to go through a safety class. They have to have be fingerprinted. 
they have to fill out a background, uh, go through a background check, and uh, be carefully approved. They, uh, uh, the measure would ban large-capacity magazines over 10 rounds, except for current owners, law enforcement, and the military. Require a permit to purchase any gun. To qualify for a permit, an applicant would need to complete an approved firearm safety course, pay a fee, provide personal information, submit to fingerprinting and photographing, and pass a criminal background check. Uh, we will be right back. On this shooting in uh, Bend, Oregon, in uh, Safeway, which uh, for a few horrible minutes became Unsafeway, they uh, have identified the shooter as Ethan Miller, and uh, he looks uh, to be uh, very young, little goatee, and uh, trying to grow a beard, and uh, again, the horror uh, of all of this now of course this is bend oregon and it's a safe way and and again it's not even news in chicago where there were 35 people who were actually shot nine who died in weekend violence across the city uh part of what happens here is sometimes the timing of of various stories is just um not helpful. It's, it's certainly not helpful for people who support the idea of gun rights and rights under the Second Amendment. A uh, federal judge and a federal district court judge, Mark Pittman, who was appointed by President Trump, has ruled that a Texas law is unconstitutional because it bans people 18 uh, to 20 years old from carrying handguns in public. In other words, they have a general law that allows everyone 21 or over uh, who gets a permit to uh, uh, carry handguns in public. Uh, but the uh, ban on 18 and 19 and 20 year olds uh, carrying guns in public is uh, held to be unconstitutional. CNN reports that the decision follows a transformational Supreme Court ruling uh, that occurred just in June, which significantly expanded gun owners' rights to carry firearms outside the House and raised the threshold that authorities must meet when defending gun restrictions. A district court judge, Mark Pittman, stated that the Texas restriction on, quote, law-abiding 18- to 20-year-olds is inconsistent with the Constitution because the Second Amendment itself does not state an age restriction and minors were part of state militias that existed in the formative years of American history. The same reasoning has been used recently by other Trump-appointed judges. They report to rule against gun purchase limits for older teens. Uh, Texas cannot point to a single founding-era law that prohibited 18- to 20-year-olds from carrying a functional firearm for self-defense because not only did no such law exist but these individuals are an important reason why we have a bill of rights in the first place so said the uh, uh, one of the uh, friend of the court briefs that uh, was issued on behalf 
of uh, firearm rights and and turning down this law. Look, I right now Ken Paxton, the Attorney General of uh, uh, of Texas, who is in the middle of a uh, re-election fight, uh, he's heavily favored to win, has not announced he's going to be appealing the case. Uh, this is a Texas law, after all, and uh, it goes back to the Bruin case, which came out in June, where Justice Thomas, Clarence Thomas, changed the standard by which such laws must be considered, asserting that they must be, quote, consistent with this nation's historical tradition and with the Second Amendment's text and historical understanding. Uh, the um, the idea that uh, the Supreme Court would uphold the notion that you cannot ban uh, 18-year-olds from carrying weapons in public if a legislature decides to do that, I don't know at all if if that is uh, going to to fly with uh, the Supreme Court, uh, but we will see. Uh, this is actually at a time when I think there there is a, a a general sense in America that first of all, people who thought that okay, we've solved the gun issue, everything's fixed because we had a compromise gun control uh, reforms that were enacted uh, with on a bipartisan basis by the House and the Senate. Now, it wasn't really bipartisan. There weren't that many Republican votes for any restrictions at all on firearms, but there were enough to get it passed and signed by President Biden. That has not had a significant impact on the rate of uh, of shootings or violence or any of the rest of this nightmarish material that we have in the United States. I do think when you think about it, and if you bother to read the news, and you think about the concerns now of, of going into a safe way at, in the middle of the day because someone might come in and try shooting you, this, this really does demand more attention. And the attention really should be concentrated, it seems to me, on mental illness and on making sure people who are mentally ill or who have violence problems or who have uh, threatening associations or a history of making threatening associations uh, should not be able to acquire guns. Uh, they have a picture along with the picture of the Safeway shooter in Bend, Oregon, of the guns that he used uh, that look formidable and coming in and just beginning to fire up a, a parking lot. Um, all of this uh, at the time when we're in the middle of an election, uh, right now what's fascinating is that there are a series of polls, all of which show the election is getting closer. Uh, Cook, which uh, analyzes the election returns or the, the polling, uh, the surveys in every single congressional district, uh, now says that uh, it has gone from having said that it was likely that the Republicans would gain between uh, 20 and, uh, and uh, 35 seats in the House, uh, is now lowering that. They're saying that the Republican gains are more likely to be 
not between 20 and 35, but between uh, 15 and uh, 30. 15 is still plenty. The Republicans could take control of the House, presumably with a gain of just five seats. And that would be uh, very, very likely to occur. In fact, one of the things that they say in this big news CBS poll, which we will get to, because it indicates why it is that people might be changing their opinions and what it is the Republicans need to do to secure the majority in the House and in the Senate that, uh, that they very, very much want to achieve. It says at the very end of a long analysis, there are also just more safe Republican seats than Democratic ones in the House. Republicans need only to flip four competitive seats to win a majority. Our model indicates that uh, they would be well positioned to do so if the elections were today. Of course, the elections aren't today. They're two months away. The uh, now balance of power in the House, the uh, latest estimate, this from the CBS News battleground tracker uh, that has also involved YouGov and repairing it, it shows you need 218 seats to control the House. And uh, right now they're projecting that the Republicans would gain 12 seats, which would give Republicans a narrow majority, but 226 over the Democrats, 209. And so what happened to that uh, estimate at one point that Republicans were going to uh, gain 30 seats or more? Uh, that changed partially according to uh, all of the analysis uh, because of Roe v. Wade and because of attempts by Republicans in many states to impose new restrictions on abortion, which is exactly what Republicans had pledged to do if Roe v. Wade were overturned. But that, it turns out, is not popular, and certainly not popular with King's key swing voters who are disproportionately uh, college-educated white females. So what are the other key voting groups that are shifting or in danger of shifting? We will get to that. We will also get to the case for prosecuting Trump, not necessarily for the documents he had at Mar-a-Lago, but for a range of other offenses. Would this be good or bad for the republic? Lindsey Graham says there would be riots in the streets if Trump faced indictment. Is that a reason to, well, of course, anything is a reason to avoid an indictment if it is going to be more damaging than defending for this greatest nation on God's green earth.